This is Future Health, a podcast on trends in the patient journey, what to expect in the next three to five years. The podcast is produced by the Advertising Research Foundation's Pharma Council, whose mission is to identify marketing and research challenges in the pharma industry and develop strategies to deal with them. I'm Jay Matlin, the director of the ARF Council Program. Today, we will be talking about digital therapeutics, a rapidly growing segment of the healthcare field that didn't even exist until 2012. Digital therapeutics products had an estimated global revenue of two to $4 billion in 2022. That's projected to grow to 9 billion by 2025, though estimates vary widely. So what are digital therapeutics and where are they going? Here to tell us is our guest, Ben Gibbons, founder of Brighter, a global insights consultancy working in the pharmaceutical and technology spaces. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thank you, Jay. Pleased to be here. So what are digital therapeutics? Yes, well, it's a good question and somewhat of a gray area, but the accepted definition. So digital therapeutics are part of the larger category digital health or digital health tools. Now, these encapsulate all forms of digital health, including device sensors and wearables, mobile health, health IT, and telehealth. Now, digital therapeutics, which I'm going to refer to as DTX, have a much narrower definition. These provide a software-based medical intervention that, critically, must treat, manage, or prevent a disease or disorder. So it's the software that then is responsible providing to the patient the intervention, which is typically via an app or medical or pharmaceutical device, with the additional capability for real-time feedback for clinicians. And lastly, and critically in the, in the concept of these products coming to market, they must have undergone clinical trials that mm-hmm. are published in a peer-reviewed journal. So demonstrating that their interventions are clinically meaningful to outcomes. The clinical evidence and real-world outcomes are the threshold that separates DTX from digital medicine or digital health. So a wearable device that monitors someone's heart rate would not be considered digital therapeutics. Now, this is a common misconception. Uh Wearables on their own, like this, are not examples of DTX. DTX is the software serving as a medical device, not the physical Mm. product necessarily. These are examples of digital health tools that are generally marketed direct to consumers that do not make treatment claims. So, for example, Fitbit is not promising you'll have improved health by using their product. Mm. While fitness and other biometric variables may provide insight to your activity levels or physiological state, They are not treatments. They are simply providing a report of a person's current state and leaving it up to the user to decide what to do with that information. So digital therapeutics, you said, treats, manages, or prevents. So anything that's purely diagnostic is not considered digital therapeutics. No, no, indeed. Okay. Can you give us some examples of the kinds of products that it does cover? Yeah. So there's three time three main types of DTX products, and these are dependent on their purpose. So there's those that improve a health function, Mm 
including a DTX that prevented disease. So an example of this is Sleepio by Big Health Inc., which is for insomnia, which works over six weeks to improve somebody's insomnia. Uh, although those devices, those products that manage a disorder or disease. So Relieve RX by Applied VR, which works to improve um, chronic lower back pain or to treat a medical disease. So there's Blue Star RX by WellDoc that is for type 1 and 2 diabetes. How does Sleep IO work? That is a, a cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. that the user signs up to six weeks of sessions and therapy that are delivered via the app. So although it is entirely an app-based solution, it has been through trial and has been proven that users that use the app for the full six weeks do improve their uh, chronic in insomnia. Is there any clinician who oversees it or can it be used independently of any healthcare professional? It is used independently of, of healthcare professionals, but the data that the app stores can be shared with experts that, that oversee uh -huh. if required. But no, it, uh -huh. it doesn't require input from the healthcare professional themselves. And the same with Blue Star RX? No. Oh, okay. uh, interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. No, very quite really quite different in the in the cases of in the case of diabetes so okay. there are actually a, a few dtx products designed for diabetes specifically and uh -huh. they vary these products have achieved fda approval through the ability and, and demonstrating uh, improved outcomes for lowering a1c so blue star by WellDot, there's actually two iterations blue star and blue star rx and Indeed, there are additional clinical trials in diabetes go looking to assess chatbots. But let's look at Blue Star first. So Blue Star systems include a mobile app that individuals living with uh, type 2, also used in type 1, but that hasn't received approval. And it connects mm. multiple health devices and data sources that provide tailored digital coaching and insights. Now, another DTX that's been cleared is DNAV, which combines an FDA-approved mobile app, which is actually enabled by AI technology and virtual clinical support to make autonomous adjustments to a patient's insulin prescription based mm -hmm. on their historical and current glucose levels. And all of these have received some sort of regulatory approval and are only available with a prescription? In, in the case of the examples I gave in diabetes, yes, they are prescription DTX. So taking DNAV, the app that connects the devices and makes autonomous insulin decisions, patients download the app from Apple or the, or the Google App Store, and an enrollment code is generated for patients that their healthcare provider completes a prescription with their personalized treatment details, and then from that point onward, the DNAV technology will tell the patient what dose to use before each injection. This is designed to take away the guesswork of managing insulin dosing for the patient. Information regarding the patient's glucose readings and insulin recommendations are always available to their physician via a dedicated provider portal. So this program improves outcomes and the safety of insulin treatment. 
So in that case, there is direct involvement of a healthcare provider in the provision of the DTX. Yes, because actually, just for clarification, the Sleepio app is a direct-to-consumer product. Oh, it it is, is not a prescription oh, okay. digital therapeutic. How did this field get started? Okay, so the term was first coined actually back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, a company called Pair Therapeutics got the first FDA approval uh, for alcohol cannabis abuse. And then in 2019, for opioid abuse. So the 11, in the 11 years, uh, several factors have been cited as contribution to their emergence. So technology, faster, more powerful smartphones and connectivity. AI, automation, so the ability to process, distill and utilize massive data sets generated by smartphone health apps and trackers. And then... We look to the pandemic, COVID-19, which exponentially increased the predicted market for, for DTX. But moreover, it was the really accelerated growth of technology during the pandemic itself. People you know, warmed up to the idea of using the different digital health tools and, and apps such as telehealth doubling during the pandemic. So COVID brought about not just changes in technology, but also changes in patients' acceptance of digital therapeutics types of technologies. Well, use of digital technologies in healthcare themselves. So the idea that a remote or virtual consultation with your provider can be as effective or more effective and more convenient than seeing your provider face-to-face. It Mm -hmm. also meant that the providers themselves, in order to keep their practices going, had to adopt and use digital technologies. So it kind of introduced us to the concept and endorsed the concept that we don't always have to be doing the things the way we have always done them. So that's assisted in the emergence of DTX. So do you think that the changes that were wrought by COVID-19 will persist? I think so. I think so. And there's there's a number of factors that are not all related to technology. So the cost of health provision itself in the US, uh, it's been cited that you know, 80% of healthcare costs are spent on disease that could be lessened or reversed through behavioral change, mm-hmm. which is you know, a key element to lots of the DTX products that are currently on the market or being developed. And also, you know, governments and payers seeing DTX as part of technological solutions to reducing the overall cost of health services and provision. In Europe, Germany, France, UK, the governments have have invested significantly in digital health and with DTX being part of the wider category. Also, changing demographics and connections to technology, you know, usage, meaning, you know, today's over 70s are connected, you know, they have smartphones, they're, they're using technologies in their everyday life. So that barrier of, of age and being technologically savvy enough is, is only going to diminish. And also across the US and also in other other countries, you know, there are provider shortages, particularly in rural areas 
So therefore, you know, having uh, therapies that actually manage or improve outcomes that don't require in-person contact with a provider is also seen as an additional advantage that would prompt the increase. So a number of forces have propelled interest in growth of digital therapeutics. You talked about technology. You've talked about changes brought on by COVID-19, costs, changing demographics, and the availability of healthcare services in different parts of the country. On the other side, what have been some of the barriers to the growth of digital therapeutics? With all emerging categories or novel industries, there are always barriers. Uh, And we see that with DTX. So there's a lack of understanding and acceptance by uh, healthcare providers. There are funding issues. Um, This has been heightened in the, the past 12 months. So investors willing to take the risk on, on new therapies. That being said, the numbers of the, you know, are holding up, but not necessarily growing in terms of uh, investor appetite in digital uh, therapeutics. There are privacy concerns, particularly amongst providers who believe their patients will have concerns about sharing information. And there are regulatory hurdles. As we said, there is a need for clinical trials. So that, you know, in itself is a barrier to companies entering the the category. So, for example, tech companies have the, the knowledge of the technology, but they lack the experience of getting over regulatory hurdles. And these are familiar to pharmaceutical companies. But pharma companies, on the other hand, have the problems in that They are struggling to understand the tech well enough, and potentially they know the regulatory frameworks too well. So pharma companies are hampered by all the barriers and challenges they see in getting a solution designed in a compliant way and getting through trials where tech companies struggle to navigate that framework and navigate the need for clinical trials. So regulatory still remains a barrier. Have there been any recent changes that you've seen in the acceptance of digital therapeutics in the HCP community? No, I don't say that there has been recent changes. I think awareness and knowledge is increasing. The areas that DTX has been approved and are launched are areas of behavior modification. This includes sort of mental health, also pain but still the majority of providers do not understand digital therapeutics. Mm. As such, they may be hesitant to embrace them due to their own lack of experience in this technology. Physicians have reported that prescribing DTX is more difficult than prescribing traditional therapies. They cite challenges such as reimbursement, patient fulfillment, and ongoing support and and a lack of interoperability of DTX. So interoperability is the need for systems to integrate and work together. So linking the data that comes through DTX with electronic health records or prescribing uh, workflows. So this is actually a key unmet need in digital health, fitting together medical devices, apps that patients and HCPs use and treatments into a single ecosystem. And this can be seamlessly shared. So providers are worried that if they are to prescribe DTX, that this 
back end, this ecosystem isn't going to be seamless and is actually going to potentially cause more problems than the improvement in outcomes. We started off saying this field is expected to grow either a little or a lot in the next three to five years. How do you see the HCP environment and receptivity to digital therapeutics changing in the next three to five years with respect to reimbursement, patient fulfillment, and interoperability, the factors that you just mentioned? Well, I think the changes that the regulatory environment is looking to adopt. So 2017, FDA recognized that the current regulatory framework is not optimized for regulating DTX or Mm -hmm. other software as a medical device. So they launched a pilot program, the pre-cert pilot program in July 2017, to explore the possibility of for innovative approaches to updating regulatory oversight and found that the rapidly evolving technology in modern medical devices and and the landscape could benefit from a new paradigm, a new regulatory paradigm. Pair Therapeutics, we mentioned the first approved DTX, was included in the pilot and that sort of paved the way for other DTX to get expedited approval. And six years later, we now have 35 FDA-approved DTX in those uh, categories that we talked about, mainly around behavioral change and and those aspects of health. So the main driver of change has been in the regulatory environment. Well, you asked how I see acceptance uh, changing going forward. So for HCPs, they do have lots of concerns. And one of those is is reimbursement. Um, So with the FDA now updating how DTX are assessed and, and fast tracking, we have seen a growth in the category overall. So, you know, mm-hmm. from Pairs First Therapeutic five and a half years ago, we now have 35. There are 41 products currently in trial. So oh, yeah. as this grows, the need to address the other concerns that providers have grows. And you know, as uh, health systems, uh, governments, payers see benefits to DTX, that will expedite the requirement to address those barriers that HCPs have. Okay, so you mentioned concerns about privacy before as a potential barrier to the growth of DTX. Did you see any data to suggest that consumer concerns about that are changing? This is a really interesting area of of consumer beliefs and understanding and behaviors across anything digital to do with our smartphones or our online lives. So yes, it is one of the key issues facing the adoption of DTX. And, And indeed, HCPs are just as likely to cite patient data concerns as a barrier, as well as their own understanding of the category itself. And we know that People are hesitant to trust service providers with their data, and there are concerns around privacy and who gets to see what data. However, what we see in our own research is that individuals, although if you ask them straight up, would you be willing to trust a pharmaceutical company or the government with your data, most will say no or they'll have some concerns. However, when you ask them about the 
benefits of digital therapeutics or digital healthcare, they are much more likely to see, you know, Mm. the benefits to them and the wider society. So what this comes back to is actually, yes, reassuring patients that their data is safe, but moreover, it's about demonstrating the benefits to them as a patient or as a citizen the benefits to the wider healthcare provision and country in order to sort of overcome those barriers. It's interesting because, you know, who reads any of the privacy statements that come through in order to use a given app or service on their phone? Very few people. So they are, you know, just as likely to accept if they see a benefit to them. So you think that will work to the advantage of digital therapeutics in the next three to five years? as consumers overcome any hesitation that that they might have had over the use of their data once they understand the benefits that will accrue by their use of these products? Yes, and and also I should say that provide HCP recommendation and not necessarily reassurance to the security, but HCPs, you know, educating their patients as to the benefits is going to be a, a, a key way to overcome that barrier. You mentioned insurers before. Are more insurers covering these products now than in the past? Are they likely to increase their coverage of these products in the next three to five years? Yes, I, I think uh-huh. they do. And, and and many of the insurers are, are actively looking at ways to address this. But however, if we, if we look at the United States, so DTX products most frequently receive uh, third-party payment through employers, pharmacy uh, benefit managers, insurance, or through other third-party payers. So Increasingly, the cost of DTX products is being covered by the development and assignment of new codes uh, based on the the setting of care. But again, the benefits of DTX in reducing the overall cost of health provision is what is going to be the driver that payers and insurers will look to. So FDA approval being the first step, but then as adoption improves and the cost of providing the care is shown with real-world data and evidence to be decreased, insurers will be prompted and and, and more likely to approve given products. You mentioned pharma companies before. Which pharma companies are working in this area and what sorts of products are they supporting? I think all of Big Pharma is cautiously dipping their toe into this area to better understand you know where they can play and what areas are going to be most beneficial in terms of specific companies uh, actively involved Beringer Ingelheim currently through partnership are, are trialing a specific DTX uh, Sandos also are seen to be working with sort of digital startup pharmaceutical companies. Also, Otsuka have got partnerships with uh, digital therapeutic developers. So I think we'll see that pharma will be wanting to to play a major part in DTX and utilize its knowledge of the regulatory environments and actually getting a product through trial. And that's where their involvement will come. Thank you. We're now joined by ARF Pharma Council member Bill Salaker, Vice President of Client Solutions at Skim. Bill, do you have any questions for Ben? Sure, I have one. Yeah, you talked about uh, the 
relationship between DTX and pharmaceutical companies. What do you think is the relationship between big tech, DTX, and big pharma? Are they mutually beneficial to each other or are they threats to each other or something in between? I think that in terms of big tech and pharma, I see them as being a threat, particularly big tech looking to better navigate the healthcare industry and then specifically the pharmaceutical industry. They don't currently have the understanding or the regulatory uh, know-how to get a product through trial and, and, and approval. So DTX somewhat sits in the middle in that that they have the sort of technology and and but still require support from from big pharma should big tech get the experience and the the know-how to get a product through FDA approval to the market they're likely to be you know more nimble and more uh, astute at delivering a product that consumers want so at the moment it's a bit of a standoff but potentially big tech is a threat to pharma in DTX. Thank you, Bill. Ben, is there anything more you'd like to add about what you expect to see out of digital therapeutics in the next three to five years? Yeah, sure. So to now, we've been talking very specifically, or I've been using examples of the software itself. I think as the category uh, expands, what we'll see more trials where the molecule, the pharmacological product is trialed in conjunction with the software to provide a more comprehensive pharmacological and digital product to to address uh, needs. So that will open up more systemic or physiological disease areas for DTX to address. Whereas now we've been talking very much around behavior modification that the software is looking to provide the intervention. So is that an area where big pharma and big tech could work together? It is. It also goes to Bill's question around the threat um, because pharma obviously has the the pharmacological experience, but there's nothing to say that, that big tech couldn't actually buy into the drug development category and, and, and have its own pharmacological treatments to pair up with the technology to increase its influence in the area. Ben Gibbons is the founder of Brighter. Thanks for joining us today, Ben. Thank you very much, Jay. Thanks for having me. This has been Future Health, a podcast on trends in the patient journey, what to expect in the next three to five years. If you would like to learn more about the ARF Council Program, please visit our website, thearf.org backslash communities backslash and click on councils. You can also follow the Advertising Research Foundation on Facebook or on Twitter at the underscore ARF. Our producer is Monique Nazareth and our audio engineer is Daniel Bruno. Please join us again for future health podcasts from the ARF Pharma Council in the coming months. I'm Jay Matlin.